Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, September 20th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives. As we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. On the website at whyagain.org, if you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. If you click the link, you can download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness, And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We help people do all of that soon and often primarily because It tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us and you're listening on the Internet, you can give us a call at 563-999-3581. Once you call that number, if you press 1 on your phone, it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll turn on the microphone and announce it by your area code. 
If you're listening through the archives and you'd like to submit a comment, a question, an answer, or testimonial, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org, or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And if you do that, we will address the comment or question on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time we were able to do that, and you can listen back to the archives for your input. And we greatly appreciate whenever whenever anybody does that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service, and that's just a whole heck of a lot easier to do when we know how things are landing for you. And if we know where you're having your greatest successes and your greatest struggles, we can support you more effectively and more directly. So we're grateful whenever anybody chooses to share with us. And in lieu of that, we just keep trying to provide discussion feedback of our own, um, talk about our own work in, in making things happen with the worksheets or the targeted journaling or the other tools that Michael and Jeannie make available. So we have plenty of time for comments and questions today. Um, we had a support group last night. We had support groups on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and um, the thing that came to me that I, I thought I should probably talk about today, if nobody raised a hand or had another comment or question, is one of the common misperceptions, miscommunications that happens in this work when we talk about our emotions, and it happened in the support group last night, and the the communication that we start is usually about like like the core of the work with the way of mastery. It says you don't experience. This is the first axiom in the way of mastery. You don't experience anything that you haven't chosen. Now, we don't consciously choose it all, but at some level, the way you choose to focus your conscious awareness in each moment is the process that creates your experience of life in that moment. And so if you have an experience in your life and you say, this is bad, this is wrong, this shouldn't be happening, you create a certain experience of it. As we were talking about with um, Joseph Campbell and his I'm hearing uh, from Nietzsche's work, you know, whatever happens, just say, this is what I need, and choose that filter, and then you create an entirely different experience in your life. So when we were talking about that kind of thing last night in the support group, it got, once again, as, as often happens, it got misinterpreted as us or this teaching telling us that our emotions are bad or wrong that we shouldn't have grief or that we shouldn't have anger, et cetera, et cetera. 
And that's not what these teachings are intending to communicate. The intended communication is that if indeed everything I experience is being created by a process inside me that I can become aware of and then have access to, that would be empowering. And so if I can understand how I'm creating my experience in the moment, whether it's a joyful emotional experience or a satisfied emotional experience or an upset emotional experience, then I'm empowered to be able to choose, to choose again, to choose differently, to stay with it. And there's nothing in the work that's saying, okay, you shouldn't be upset. You shouldn't be grieving this long. You shouldn't be this angry. If that's what you want to do with your mind energy, feel free. You've got the infinite capacity to choose the focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment. And it is the focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment that's going to actively create your experience of life. And so if you have a pet or a loved one that dies and, and leaves the body and you feel that it's most appropriate for you to express your love for that loved one or pet by grieving for a year or five or 20, that's your choice. That's perfectly okay. And if you're in the middle of that and you say, I'm sick of this, I hate this, I don't want to be grieving this long, I don't want to be this angry this much in my life, if that is the case, there's options only if you become aware that the entire process is internal and accessible to you once you are enlightened by that awareness and you learn to observe. And in this work and in the way of mastery, they say, observe it with childlike curiosity. Play with it. Understand that even if it's a, an intense energy that you would prefer not to have, it's perfectly okay to have it and it's perfectly okay to let go of it. It isn't, you know, there's, there's no right or wrong way to do this. It's your life. And you have this capacity to choose. This is this thing we call free will. This is this thing that some people call, um, well, it's called by various names that are evading me right now. But the idea is if you choose to be upset, you will be upset. And, and you might say, well, I'm not choosing this and I'm not choosing that. When that's happening, in this work, we assume it's because you think it's only at the conscious level. And there are unconscious and subconscious levels that you can become aware of. And there are powerful dynamics in the creation of our emotional experience and our perception that we are not taught by our families and our culture. And so if we can help you shine a light of awareness on those processes, on the truth of what is creating your experience of life and your emotions moment to moment, then you have options you didn't have moments before.
So um, please understand there is nothing in these teachings that is intended to be telling you that you're doing it wrong. The only thing in this teaching that's intended is to get the message across that you are doing it. And if you're experiencing something internally as an emotion, as a recurring thought, as a traumatic energy, this work would call us to observe that that's being at least perpetuated. In some cases, it's actually being initiated internally by some kind of process. But in the case of a trauma, it may not have been initiated internally, but now, days, weeks, months, years, or even decades later, as the upset around that comes to my awareness every time it's resonated, I'm perpetuating it unless I'm seeing the truth of it, breathing into it, softening and dismantling it. These things are what we're teaching. And we're teaching them just for you to observe for yourself. We're not teaching them to say, this is the truth, this is dogma you have to believe. You might experience this, you might learn some of these tools, you might try and apply them in your life, and you might say, you know what, it doesn't work that way for me. More power to you. The only thing we would say then is, as you drop these tools and move on, please feel free to find some others. Because if you're not happy in your life, if you're not feeling contented, if you don't have a sense of solid purpose, if you're not able to choose for joy and choose for love moment to moment, chances are really good that you could learn how. And it may not be that this set of tools resonates with you or this set of teachings rings true for you, and yet there will probably be a set of teachings and tools out there resonate with you, that feel good, that give you good results, and that give you the opportunity to live your life choosing for love, choosing for joy, choosing to dismantle the negative energies within you, which is what the ancient Aramaic definition for forgiveness is, to dismantle the negative energies. Anything that's less than love in your system the idea is see it, the truth of what it is, let go of your compulsion to feel that you're right and that that's important and that you need to hold on to it. And when you do, watch what happens. So Michael and Jeannie offer an extensive set of tools that help me uncover what's in my subconscious and unconscious that might be contributing to aches and pains and fears and upsets and angers and and depressions and a set of tools to help me dismantle those energies, beliefs and traumas once I become aware of them. And they're available absolutely free on the website at w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g So That's one of the things I wanted to offer today because it it was a very strong component in last night's support group that people were getting the message somehow that we were being that these teachings were telling them that they're doing it wrong, that they shouldn't be sad, that they shouldn't have grief, etc. And that's not 
how I experience these teachings. Again, the call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1 on your phone, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. And when I see that and it seems an appropriate time, I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code, and we can have a conversation. Another thing that happened yesterday in one of my sessions, I'm... Somebody was asking, you know, what should I read next? What should I do next? And so we've had the um, suggestion by Susan Bingham that we might look at uh, Diedrich Wolzak's book, um, Choose Again, and uh, decide whether or not we want to read that on this Internet show over time. And that prompted me to think about... um, A couple of books that I, I now have in my yearly rotation. So I, once or twice a year, I listen to or read books like Anthony DeMello's um, Awareness, um, and he's got another one that's a, a series of, of stories. I also listen to or read Alan Cohen's Course in Miracles Made Easy, and Alan Cohen's the book The Tao Made Easy. And that reminded me that it's been a while since I've updated the book list on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. So I will see if I can't do that in the next week or two. And um, if you can remember, if you go to that website and you look at the page that says, you know, books we've talked about on Mind Shifters Radio, and you say, hey, wait a minute, the walk in the physical isn't here, or this other book isn't here, please send me a note, and I'll up- update that list. But in the last 12 and a half years, we've covered quite a few different books that we've talked about. Some of them we've actually read parts of. Some of them we've read the entire book. Uh, with the, the Course in Miracles and the Way of Mastery, we've gone into deeper dives. And um, that's just another resource you might want to take advantage of. If you're looking for how to move your work to the next level, um, some people get great benefit from sitting with these spiritual teachings, whether it's a book by Guy Finley Relationship Magic was the book that he'd written right before he he let us interview him about four years ago. Um, he has a whole series of books about being fearless and free, and so some of those are listed. And let us know if if we're missing some of those that you think we should uh, either add to our list or we've already discussed and they're not on the list. And again, when we hit a, a, a Monday or a Wednesday, we like to say on Tuesdays and Thursdays we offer a free support group. And it's um, free and it's through Zoom and it's from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time, Tuesday and Thursday evenings. So if you know somebody that would benefit from having access to that, 
please share the information with them. All the information you need to know to join us for free is available on the mindshiftersacademy.org website. And I would just take a moment to remind us that there's two separate pages, one for the Tuesday login information and one for the Thursday login information. And while it talks about how you know you can pay, you don't have to pay anything. It's been set up this way so that you know, if you have some money and you want to support it, support Michael and Jeannie doing this Internet show on the website, you can send some money in through that Stripe link. But when you click the link, there's the information, and you just go to Zoom and plug it in, and you can... also been working with the book A Walk in the Physical by Christian Sundberg and the most recent diversion from that was to go back into the way of mastery and read lessons 8 and 9 which are talking about how as we choose our thoughts it's a creative energetic process and it sends out ripples it sends out ripples through our energy system and it sends out ripples through the relationships we have in the world. And this is a a big, big part of the process of how we are creating our experience of life each moment. connection back to the way of mastery was brought about because we were reading questions from the segment of the book by Christian Sundberg titled A Walk in the Physical and one of those answers said we are completely responsible for our choices and the choices that we make have these energetic impacts and that's what led me back to reading from the way of mastery so another question that comes up in that book in the question and answer section is is karma a system of punishment or is karma self-imposed and the answer they offer is we are energetically accountable for all we have been and all we have done from the other side from the non-physical realm we can see exactly who we are and who we quote have been close quotes and when we see that we wish to expand our understanding and work through what we might see as weaknesses or failures basically we cannot escape what we are or what we have chosen to to do and be so we choose to engage our own failings so as to grow past them, to expand our experiences, to expand the experience of the creative moment, which adds to the collective creation. 
So the next question is, are we judged by our actions or judged by our intent? And the answer comes as, we judge, in other words, we assess ourselves. While the product of our actions is important, our actual intent is of primary importance. This is always first. The quality of our intent in all things is plainly seen. So our purity of heart or our selfishness is plainly seen. In other words, there's no reason, the real why, behind whatever we do and whatever choices we make. And that real reason, that we are here so that our true motivation, our real why, the real motivation for everything we do can expand more toward love from fear. So, here's hoping this is making sense and resonating with people. Again, a series of questions come up around are we judged, are we punished, are we, and that, they, they stated it very clearly, so I'm not going to keep repeating the questions that keep bringing that up, but the statement is that you are always unconditionally loved. You are always a part of the creative force, which is love. Area code 610, you're in the air. Hi, Dr. Tim. I was listening to, um, re-listening to a long interview with um, that Buddha at the gas pump with Dietrich Walzak. Yeah, and either it was that um, podcast or the one you made where Dietrich said, no, 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 there's no shadow. Jung got it wrong. He didn't say that. I'm just, I couldn't find it again. I was sort of fast forwarding, hoping to find it. So, but I, I, he just has a different take, but I, do you remember Dietrich saying that? No, I don't remember him saying there is no shadow. I do remember at one point he said something about, he takes full responsibility for everything that unfolds in his life. And I offered right. that in the work that I've seen and that I am the most comfortable with, I take full responsibility for creating my experience of it, but not necessarily mm-hmm. the event itself. And Diedrich pushed even harder and said, I have no problem taking full responsibility for everything that comes into my life, physically, mentally, emotionally, energetically, etc. Because he finds that most useful. Yeah. Right. And and this is a gentleman who was, um, I think the first three, four years of his life, he was raised, born into and raised in a concentration camp, a prisoner of war camp, and had a whole series of abusive events in his life that just go off the charts when you think in terms of what most 
of us, at least in the Western world, have been exposed to. And mm. with that, he says, I take responsibility for all of it. Now, my conscious logical mind doesn't have a way to take a look at that and make it all make sense. It isn't as useful to me, at least in this point of my development, to go to that position. I do find a tremendous value in looking at, as we were talking about in the past couple of days here, the way um, Joseph Campbell talks about Nietzsche's work, that if I can look at everything that happens and choose the filter that says, well, this is good, it's happening, it's just what I need. I don't exactly know mm. how I need it. It doesn't really feel good. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how I'm going to grow from it, but I'm going to put the filter on it that says, this is fine just the way it is, and now how do I deal with it? And, and I don't need to move to the level where I say, okay, how did I bring this into my life? Yeah. But Deidre I know exactly what you mean. Uh, I must say I'm pretty much there, too. I can say, this is happening. Don't like it. I'm not aware of having chosen it, but how can I make this a good and learning thing, a learning experience? How can I welcome it? How can I remember that it's neutral? All of this stuff has been extremely helpful, even in the last couple of days, because I'm easily triggered by Michael downstairs in our house. And it's been helpful to just say, well, because Dieterich would say, this is me. I'm looking at myself. What am I doing? What have I done that's just like what he's doing? How is this a reflection of me and boy, it's kind of humbling when you ask those questions, but they're helpful too because even if I can't really answer them or don't want to own, I can at least feel some loosening of the strong feeling I might have because I know this isn't him. This is at least us and possibly right. only me. Right. Well, think about it this mm-hmm. way to soften and give you an edge toward taking more responsibility. Instead of saying you're triggered by Michael in your basement, mm-hmm. yeah. make the statement, some, some form of the statement that says, I'm choosing powerfully negative interpretations about these interactions, which is resonating yeah. a lot of upset. Mm-hmm. Because as we talk about over and over again in this work, there's nothing at from the outside that's coming at me that's creating my experience of it. It's the interpretation mm-hmm. I choose and place on this flow of life that either resonates traumas I already have in me or creates the negative experience in the moment. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm triggered by Michael, it's so close to saying Michael's upsetting me. Yeah, I get it. When, but That's when you true. look at Good. the actual dynamic is, what are you making it mean when he says or does yeah. this or doesn't say or do that? And that's what's got the resonance with traumatic energy inside of you already or that if you pour enough of your mind energy into it, it creates the negative emotional experience that you're having in that moment. 
it's just more empowering to realize that it's what I'm making this mean about me. Yeah. This is the core of Diedrich Wolfack's work, right? When I go back yeah, and I find right. the memory of a time where I had an emotion that's just like what I'm having right now, and I ask, is this a familiar emotion? Yes. All right. When have I felt this? When's one of the earliest times I felt this in my life? I go back and I remember that emotion. And what was going on at that time, the next thing is I go back and interview my younger self, and I ask myself, what did you make it mean about you, Tim, as a person when this was happening? When this person said or did that, when you said or did this, etc. It's what I'm making it mean and that meaning that I carry with me that's getting resonated in the moment years, decades later that's resonating all of this upset. So when you ask yourself, what are you making it mean? What interpretation are you putting on the fact that Michael Setter did this or Michael isn't doing that work or Michael is paying this money for some candy but he's not paying for rent at your house, whatever, whatever that is, think, think about the meaning you're giving it and there's a doorway to dismantling your upset. Yes, and you just helped me realize there are two components of this. Byron Katie does this reversal thing at the end of her steps where he says, she Correct. says, turn it around as right. if you did it. In some exactly. cases, I'm not sure I did this, but there's been a cultural injunction or bad consequences if I do do this. And Michael's maybe doing it very freely with no sense of consequences. It isn't necessarily, I guess this is a question and a statement, but I feel as if I haven't necessarily done some of the things that I find hard to accept, but there is a fear connected that if I did them, maybe I did do them, but I have no memory of that. But if I did do them, I'd be in terrible trouble okay so think of it this way yeah even if you haven't done the exact specific thing yeah right let go soften that up right because that's that i'm trying to figure it out with that conscious logical part of my mind even if you haven't done the exact same thing have you thought negatively about yourself in a similar way to the way you're thinking negatively about Michael in this situation, the answer is almost always going to be a very obvious yes. Okay. And, and you just talked about it. You said, I have all of these beliefs that have been conditioned into me that this is wrong and you shouldn't do this. And if somebody gives you something, you should repay them ten times over and fall over yourself thanking yeah. them. And, and if you don't, it means you're mm-hmm. a bad person in it. And so you've probably got all of those energies loaded in your system. Yeah. Right. And you know what? Not only me, but it's really in our culture. I I can't even talk. The next door neighbor said, "Where's where's that gray car that was sitting in front of your house?" And I said, "Oh, it turned out to be a total lemon and had to be." towed away. So she said, so the man's still living with you? And I said, yeah. And she said, oh my God, is he working? And I say, no, not at the moment. She says, well, them, 
those who help themselves, you know, they get somewhere. She was making some crack, which fits right into my judgment system. And I said, don't talk to me that way. You can't talk to me that way because I already believe the same thing. I'm trying <laughs> to. <laughs> I don't want My you to thoughts are running wild. Huh? My thoughts are running wild. Okay. Way of Mastery says it. Like, you're, my, my thoughts are like 10,000 wild horses running in every direction. Right? But that's my thoughts. I don't have to give yeah. them value beyond just noticing mm-hmm. them. This is why at every level in the reality management worksheet, we put our conscious logical mind on the shelf. I like to talk about, you know, I I put my my conscious logical mind over here at the kitty table with some Oreo cookies and milk and let it just play out whatever it wants to spin, but I don't buy into it. And I cancel everything it tells me I should want, and I ask to be shown the hidden part of my own mind that's got all of this negative self-judgment that's showing up in my mind as a negative judgment of somebody else, right? The core of this work, it's in the bottom line observations. The uh, bottom line observation number 10 says, I'll never be upset about anything anybody else ever says or does or doesn't do that I think they should unless I'm still judging myself negatively for doing the same or similar thing. And so if I cancel what my mind is telling me about how I'm only upset or I'm only triggered because Michael did this or that, and I ask to be shown, okay, what's the hidden part of my mind that's judging this a certain way that's in resonance with this negative judgment of myself? Now I've got something I can see through and let go of. Now I can get some clarity. Are you breathing? I'm breathing, and I'm thinking this is more than this is a bigger assignment than I I, I have thought I could handle. This is this is like war on all fronts here. There is just so much garbage in there. Uh, I wrote to a friend of mine who lives two blocks away who owns a huge mansion two blocks away, and yet it stands empty because they have built a house in Florida and they don't want to sell this house, and evidently they're well endowed enough to be able to maintain two houses, really impressively big houses, and they're maintaining the grounds. They have people working, and I emailed this friend and said, look, we have this Congolese refugee who is very industrious and strong. Would you consider letting him live in your house while you're not there and take care of everything for you uh, if he didn't have to pay rent and perhaps you'd even pay him? But is this an arrangement you would consider? And I haven't heard a word from her. Uh, I wrote that email about a week ago. She hasn't answered, and I know it's probably because it's just too far out of her comfort zone, and I totally get that. But it's as if, especially in our neighborhood, our house is quite small, but in fact it's the most, it's the smallest house in the neighborhood, and Tim Bingham often says, how do we get in here? This is so 
such a fancy neighborhood. And here we are at the end of the block and we're this small house. And um, we better keep the yard looking good. <laughs> it's like keeping up with the Joneses. I don't know where quite I'm going with this, except there's a tremendous amount of people who, if I told them my situation, they would be amazed, maybe horrified, and challenged and threatened and all kinds of things. And so... Okay, but now the question is... Now the question is for you. Yeah, okay. That's that's what other people would think or feel if they knew about your situation. So the question is, what do you need to do with your situation to be more comfortable with it? I'm doing it. I'm doing the Walzak work, and it's an inside job, not an outside job, and it really is helping, but I'm just not all the way there yet. But even in the last two days, listening to Walzak's interview and the one you did too, help are helping. That's where the real work comes. It isn't what my neighbors think at all. I'm just, it's too exactly. easy to line up with them. Exactly. Or want to, you know, uh, attack them or tell them, don't don't talk to me about this or don't judge me because <laughs> because in that moment when I'm trying to tell somebody else not to judge me, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm judging them. Mm. I'm judging what they're doing as bad or wrong. It's always, yeah. as Michael Rice likes to say, it's always just smoke and mirrors. It's always an inside job that we we've been conditioned to try and make ourselves believe is an outside job. Mm-hmm. Well, just a work in progress. I meant to say, too, I have a very precarious connection with this call. I don't have anything else that I need to say, I don't think, but the phone has hung up on me twice and I got a busy signal once and I don't know whether it's me or blog talk. Did, did anyone else mention this happening Yesterday? to them? Yesterday yeah. was a huge blog talk problem. Oh, it was. <clears throat> well, it was a it huge blog talk twice. problem, and and you were not the only one. The, the, the hardly anybody else could get in. Jeannie couldn't get in. She had to call in as the host, and eventually Michael mm-hmm. and Jeannie were both on as hosts because nobody else could get in. So only the people that were already on, and I mm-hmm. kept trying to call in. I was trying to... Uh, make the space for them to get in as host, and I tried to call in as listener, oh. it wouldn't let me in. It was the fast, busy signal problem. Yeah, right. Okay, well, thanks so for... It wasn't you. Yeah, it wasn't you. Okay, good. <clears throat> well, if I come across the thing, Dietrich Walzak was quite adamant about, oh, no, there's no shadow. Well, I know this is just words, and it's probably this, you know, my conscious logical mind trying to figure things out. And I was, but I was heartened by what he said because I felt as if I have more agency. If there isn't a shadow, or it's inevitable that my roots go all the way to hell, and my best light part goes all the way to heaven, I don't want to use that somehow. All right, so Akhil Arsad, Akhil Arsad. This is that ancient Aramaic word that got translated as Satan. And what it means is simply to cut, fall, or slide off. 
It means to be separated from. It doesn't mean there is, as Michael Rice says, there's no external being with, um, you know, that's painted red with a long tail and a pitchfork that is Satan that is doing something to us. Mm -hmm. The ancient wisdom is that when we try to pretend that the negative thoughts we have aren't ours, we cut off our own power. We're divided against ourselves. When we're not willing to be... No, yes and no, right? It's just words. What what is your shadow? Is there a shadow? No. What's a shadow? It's an absence of light. So you talk about it that way, and it's just, you know, the mm-hmm. shadow part of me is just the part that I turn away from. Dale Allen Hoffman came mm-hmm. to town, and, and one of the things he did when, when he was giving his talk is he said, okay, so um, what is the part of the, uh, what do we call the part of the moon that the sun refuses to shine on? And several people said, the dark side of the moon. And that was a trick question. Right? That's a trick question. That Why? Is great. Because the sun just shines. Yeah. The sun doesn't refuse okay. to shine on the dark side of the moon. The dark side of the mm. moon is turned away from the light. That's the only thing that makes it dark. So the shadow in us is no big, horrible, negative thing. Like Guy Finley says, there is no such thing as bad self-knowledge. You're not going to discover a bad fact about you. Everything you've ever done that we were just reading about in the, um, the, the walk in the physical book that you would now look back on and say, oh, this had negative consequences, you did it out of your own pain, fear, and sadness. Mm. You did it because in the moment that you did it, it was the best thing you could think of to do even if you can look back at it now and say, well, this caused upset to me and other people, okay. But in the moment that you chose to do that, out of all the things that you thought you might have access to do, that's the one that was going to be the least disruptive. That's the one that was going to be the least painful. People don't choose pain just to have pain. People choose things that cause pain to themselves and others because they're running from something they fear even worse. Mm. We do these things that we don't like and that other people don't like because we're running from our pain, fear, and sadness that we do not feel that we have the capacity to resolve directly head on. Mm. That's why so many of these teachings have us turning to look at our subconscious and unconscious and be emboldened because the more we do that kind of work, the more we're empowered to let go of it, to see it as false, to quit generating fear about it, to choose for love instead of fear. So when you do something and you look back on your past and you say, oh, that was horrible and terrible, be gentle with yourself. Have you ever heard me say that phrase before, be gentle with yourself? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, we had a kind of... Feel free to try that. Go ahead. You, You had a kind of what? We just finished having our support group and one of our members came on and said, I just read this report 
Biden's been talking to some multi-billionaire people, and they're talking about how Putin's going to bomb several major cities. And we're all supposed to get vials of iodine as soon as we can, because as soon as that radiation is released, we take that medicine. We have to take that medicine that will protect our thyroid glands. And Tim Bingham says, I think this sounds like a conspiracy theory. And she said, no, it isn't. These were real people talking in there, and it's been publicized. And Tim said, on what media? And she mentioned some something. I haven't read any of this. Well, you should have seen what happened in the group. You would have loved it. You know Ellen. She came on, and she I couldn't possibly replicate what she said. And she didn't just sort of jump to the enlightened position, which sometimes she does. She said, "After all, we're we're all we're all the same. We're all we're not separate." She actually kind of got on that horse and rode it around for a while, and ended up calming us all down by citing things from the Course in Miracles and from this other book. Uh, I can't, it's a channeled book, and I can't remember the name of it, and I'm not home, I'm up as my son's house. Um, in any case, we all came around kind of to not, we're aware of this, what might be a conspiracy theory, and we're hoping it is, but somehow it was like we all were, suddenly found ourselves on a couple of bucking broncos, and the words of wisdom that Ellen came up with got us into a place where we could function again. But really, fear is so easy to call upon right well, now in this you know, world. It, it, you know, Michael Rice likes to quote from the New Testament where, you know, Yeshua says, fear is like a demon to be cast out. Mm. Right? And And so... How many times in that have you heard Michael Rice quote the the biblical citations, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, coming out of the master teacher, mm-hmm. Yeshua, right? Well, right. so then you look at a, a, a book like The Course in Miracles, where it says the miracle is any moment where someone shifts from focus on fear to focus on love. Mm-hmm. It's a choice to move. Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing is being talked about in the way of mastery. The same thing is being talked about here in in the walk in the physical book where it says what we're here to do is expand and strengthen our ability to choose for love and to let go of fear mm-hmm. in more and more mm-hmm. complex and, and constrained situations. Mm-hmm. So get the iodine, get ready to take it. Okay, if you can do that calmly and lovingly, go right ahead. But if you mm. generate fear around that, and what if I don't take enough iodine, or what if my iodine is not pure enough, or what if somebody's telling me to take <laughs> iodine and that's the real poison, and what if, then take a breath and choose again, as Diedrich Wolzak would say. Oh, I'm generating fear. I hope there's another way to look at this situation. That's right out of the Course in Miracles, a new beginning lecture Mm. that Dr. Michael Rice gives. It isn't, oh, I'm wrong. It's, oh, when I choose this interpretation, I don't really like how I feel. 
I wonder if there's another way to look at this that will leave me feeling better. That's the Byron Katie work. right? She says, look, I only suffer not when I have a negative emotion. She says, I only suffer when I believe my negative thoughts. I meant to say my negative mm. thoughts and good emotions. But you get the idea that we all have mm-hmm. thoughts. That can, like you said, be a, a herd of wild horses or bucking broncos that we get on and take us for a ride. That isn't what causes our upset. What causes our upset is when we believe it. And, and yeah, that's why and Byron know, Katie's work is so powerful. Is it brings it into question. The thing, one thing I had forgotten that Diedrich said was I've been going along with the idea it's my thoughts that cause my upset, but it's my beliefs that cause that lead to thoughts that cause my upset. And we have these beliefs that are way, way beyond our immediate access. They're sitting way down somewhere in the unconscious well, yeah. or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, now, that's you know, too. Abraham, all right, but Abraham Hicks would say it's not something like some deep-seated belief. It's just a thoroughly practiced negative thought that's got a lot of momentum mm-hmm. right now. So okay. how do you interrupt that momentum? How do you how do you how do you question it? You pull out a worksheet mm-hmm. and you say, "I cancel my need to be right. I cancel everything my brain is telling me." Or you pull out a Byron Katie worksheet and you say, "Now, can I can I know this is true? Do I absolutely know it's true? Can I positively, absolutely know it's true?" And I sit with that and question it deeply for a while, and then I say, "Okay, now even if I say yes, I can know it's absolutely true." Then I just ask, okay, how is my life progressing? How does it feel when I believe this is true? Well, I'm upset mm-hmm. and I'm scared and I'm angry. Okay, and what would my life be like without this belief? And I'm mm-hmm. just questioning it. I'm just playing with it. I'm exploring what's the energy dynamic of pouring mind energy into a particular pattern of thoughts. How is that resonating Mm. in my body's energy system, generating tension, generating emotions, etc.? Play with it. Mm. As Matthew says over and over again, have this childlike innocence. Mm. Ask, play, dance in the kingdom. Let not seriousness enter the mind is one of the quotes from the way of mastery. Mm. Yeah, and Eckhart Tolle would say, hey, how are you right now? Where are you right now? Are you okay right now? Is your breath moving? Is your heart beating? Yes. 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 That's the Richard Moss work, right? In this very moment, if you get into the center of that mandala and just tune into the life energies, do you have enough? Is the breath moving? Mm. Is the heart beating? There's always going to be things you can look at and say, well, I don't like this or I don't want that. Okay, that's all right, too. And is there enough Mm. in this very moment? Yeah. Well, 
as usual, you've done it again. You've helped us get almost all the way through to the final minutes of that first hour. We have a second hour coming with Michael and Jeannie. Hopefully the uh, switchboard will be much more highly functional uh, today (laughs) than it was yesterday, and people will be able to call in and listen and or raise a question if they want. Any closing words of wisdom from you? Well, there's a whole other topic, but it's too big and fat to bring it up right now. I'll do it another day. All right. I'll look forward to that. Nice, big, fat topic that you'll bring (laughs) up another day. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, blessings. Thanks again for the call. It's always appreciated. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. We've got about a minute. And, oh, I just turned on the microphone for area code 541. Is this Linda? All right, I will mute you since that's not responding. And I will remind us all that... Um, Today's Wednesday, so tomorrow night we'll have another support group available absolutely free, and you can go to the MindShiftersAcademy.org website to get the information about how to join us there. And welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tan. I am glad that the blog talk's working today. Yeah, it makes it a lot easier to do a show, doesn't it? It sure does. <laughs> it, it took us a while. Actually, um, the only way that we both got on is we both dialed in on the host number. Michael had to try a couple of times, but it finally let both of us in as host. And uh, the call-in number never did start working. Yeah, well, so bless their hearts. I hope they have it resolved. Have a yeah, wonderful me too. show. <laughs> Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Manchester's Radio. And today is Wednesday, September the 20th, 2023. And our call-in number is 563 563- nine 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 three five eight one and press one and that puts you in the queue to talk to us and we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show and when michael gets in the first thing we have an email that actually came in over the weekend and and the last couple of days the show's been either technical problems or something anyway we couldn't address her question so we're going to do that first off and then hopefully Julia is feeling better. Uh, She was a little under yesterday, and so hopefully she's feeling better and can call in and we'll finish the worksheet that she was working on the other day with Michael. And like I said yesterday, it was kind of comical in a way. I know the people that were experiencing didn't think it was funny, (laughs) but um, there were at least two out of, there were eight, nine people that were in the still point breathing on Saturday, Sunday. Two of them that I've heard from anyway were in healing crisis by yesterday. So it's, uh, we spent yesterday talking quite a bit about uh, what a healing crisis looks like and when the vitality gets up and everybody's vitality was up during the breath workshop. And when that happens, you are vital enough for the next layer of whatever to come forward. And uh, so that was actually what was happening. And, and as I continued speaking with the first gentleman who had, caught, you know, I talked to him and worked with him, and 
and he was getting ready to go to the doctor. I haven't heard the results of that, whether he ended up going, but he had said, oh, we're not going to be able to do a whole session today because I feel terrible. And uh, by the time that we finished talking, I mean, we went a full hour, and he goes, oh, my throat feels better. So it was, uh, you know, just proof that uh, it was a healing crisis and that he didn't need to run and, and get on a bunch of drugs, which I'm sure the doctor would have tried to have done. And so uh, hopefully, like I said, Julia will call in and we'll finish her worksheet. But I'm going to first say welcome, Michael, and then I'll read the email. Let's go for that email, sweetie. All right. So she didn't go into great detail of what was going on. She just said, um, uh, I'm wondering if in your experience it's beneficial or harmful to fill in details of a traumatic event when going through the forgiveness worksheet. I blocked a big portion of the circumstances around what was most likely my first ever panic attack when I was 12 years old. I considered asking my sister, who was with me at the time and is four years older, to see what she remembers about that night. This event keeps popping into my head after canceling my goal to be left alone. When inviting Ruka to Kutcha in, I decided to do worksheets on the parts that I could remember, but there isn't a whole lot there. Thank you for all you do and you offer. And so I wrote back to her and told her that we would address it on Monday's show, which we didn't end up doing, but um, I said, and Michael will give you more information. Um, but he said that the more information that you have, the better you can address the issue. So yes, go ahead and ask your sister. If she has nothing to offer, then just go with what comes up. As you do worksheets, more and more may pop. Write notes on anything that you think about for later worksheets. From personal experience, and I said, I don't need to know, uh, but it sounds like possibly there was some abuse or sexual abuse or something along those lines. And I know personally that I blocked a lot so as not to quote-unquote feel again whenever the memories are trying to come to conscious awareness then you must be, if those memories are coming to conscious awareness, you must be vital enough to finally face it. You survive the actual event, you will survive the memory, holding the space. And then I suggested a mind shifter. I said, give me two numbers. And she gave me her numbers, and her mind shifter was absolutely perfect. Um, it, ah, and I don't have the part of the email where I sent her her mind shifter. Hold on one second. It was... Um, and that is uh, is. section 12 number 3 and this is on healing blame and it was Sweetness pervades my body when I think of those who have hurt me. And so she wrote back and she said that she had been listening to the last couple of days shows and that um, it was very powerful listening to the topics that were covered. So, Michael, if you want to address that a little further. Absolutely. First of all, I want to thank Julia for what she opened up the other day, the conversation and the principles and just, you know, uh, the, the questions. I've said it before and it's been a while since I've said it, and I, I love what Einstein relayed about questions. He, he said he was given a challenge, 
Someone said to him, if you were, were given a problem and you had one hour to solve it, the question that was asked, you had one hour to solve it, what would you do? He said, I'd, take, I'd spend 55 minutes determining exactly what questions needed to be asked, and then I'd solve the problem. And the questions that people ask, and I certainly appreciate Doug's interaction yesterday. Doug's really, you know, digging in, ferreting out, uh, gnawing on the truth principles. <laughs> and so sharing those questions opens a space where, you know, I get to to uh, engage in questions that I never would have asked personally. So thank you for those uh, those directions and those questions. So a couple of things. I would follow Yeshua's advice on that issue. <clears throat> and what was said was, take care of the heart, for out of it are the issues in life. The heart in Aramaic, is a code word for the unconscious, or at least the word that the Greeks translate. It's a code word for the unconscious. Take care of what's in your unconscious because that's where the power lies. When we start pushing stuff down, that's where we store a lot of potential energy. I used the example the other day of the spring. A spring sitting on the floor, a three-foot diameter spring, three feet tall, can't do a darn thing until I push on it and lock it down. And then when I release it, if I push down on it a thousand times, that spring is going to fly because there's a lot of potential energy in it that will turn back into kinetic energy. When I'm pushing it down, it's called kinetic energy. When I lock it down, it's stored as potential energy. And when I let the lock go, it's now back to kinetic or moving energy. And so when I stuff something away and I stuff it down, I stuff it down, I stuff it down, it's there with a lot of power, which means that literally, energetically, whatever I've stuffed down, you know, uh, I've shared before Marcel Vogel's camera, the Delaware camera, where he could take a picture of the high energy waves that leave the mind when we think of thought. When we stuff something away and put all kinds of potential energy in it, we're setting up a kinetic field, an energy field that radiates from us, literally measurable high energy wave. And the law of resonance means <coughs> that somebody in tune with that energy wave is going to tend to show up and, and going to tend to be directed by that energy. So when the scriptures talk about take care of the heart, they're saying look into your unconscious. So yes, you want to ferret out every bit of information that you can. If you look at virtually all of the tools that we teach, a great part of each and every one of them, and, and sometimes totally the focus is being able to access things that are in the unconscious. So if there are places you can get information and start to tap in, absolutely go for it and of course be ready to breathe have your worksheets handy and and do your work around it I would suggest a mind shifter specifically geared to that the one that uh, that you select with the numbers is perfect and I'd offer a different mind shifter as well referring to that specific night and the mind shifter I would use it is safe and healing and I give myself permission. It is safe in healing, and I give myself permission 
to access the thought disorders and events around the panic attack that happened when I was 12. And so I'd suggest, seeing as how this is popping up so much for you, that that's probably a mind shifter to spend two, three, maybe even four hours with. Make sure your phone's off in your own space. I'm going to take the afternoon. I'm going to work on this issue. Because obviously there are some energetic dynamics behind it that are important for you to resolve. And then, of course, the uh, forgiveness tool to go back and, you know, who was involved? Do you have any idea what was going on? Can you identify a goal that you held? You know, if you were in panic, it was probably something about safety or perhaps someone taking care of you, someone being there for you. And so to uh, perhaps do some worksheets around what might have been the goals that you held that night and or if there's any other time that you had a panic attack since, you might do worksheets on that with an eye toward looking at what's beneath this idea of a panic attack. Panic attacks can be really, I mean, amazingly significant and debilitating. And all they are is unconscious thought disorders that are activated by certain events. And if I create a whole complex of thought disorders, you know, let's say it's, it's around safety. So the first one is, I'm not safe. And the second one is, you know, the second thought might be, and it might be a power person dynamic where my power person just out of the blue, you know, would, would come home. I remember working with a woman back, this is, geez, 40 years ago. And let me just get to the details of it. It's been a long time, but it's such a key type of issue. She was about 10, well, two, two issues come up. She was about 10, and in working around this issue of attack, she was the oldest of, I don't remember how many children, several children. And dad was a drunk. And half the time when dad would come home, dad would be a mean drunk. Half of the time when dad came home, dad was a jolly drunk bearing gifts. Seeing as how she was the oldest one, the younger kids would push her out when dad was coming home to find out whether they should you know, head to dad and get their gifts or tail it out of the house and hide till he, you know, fell over, you know, unconscious. So she took a lot of beatings that way. So someone coming to the house, a surprise, uh, you know, that was kind of the event. Dad's coming home and it's like, oh. So, so worksheets around something like that, if there's any kind of memory. But you look at that and... I remember when I was working with this woman and that situation came up, he had come home and the cat had messed on the floor and he told the uh, this woman, who at that time was a child of 10, to clean it up and she made some kind of smart comment, you know, like, you know, why do I always have to clean up? Whatever, something like that. I don't remember exactly what it was. And... Got to breathe on this. 
At 10 years of age, she said he beat her so badly that she thought she was going to die. So you take the thought disorders that come from events like that, and if they remain in the unconscious and they remain unresolved, anything that triggers them, I mean, literally in that particular case, this woman, you know, and at the time she was probably in her 50s, She'd actually recently stopped drinking alcohol in order to gain more memory back and to clean up her life. But you start looking at the kind of thought disorder complex in the mind that happens to, you know, in that one particular event and events like that, that build a whole complex of thoughts. And there's a panic attack. All that has to happen is something needs to happen in the environment or internally in one's mind. You think about a situation and bang, that whole complex goes into activity. And now you've got, you know, heart racing or maybe even heart, you know, palpitations, uh, difficulty breathing, throat closes up, uh, total sympathetic dominance, uh, brain, blood flow is cut off to the brain, um, terror and I mean people think they're having heart attacks when that sort of thing occurs and excuse me but that's the kind of stuff that creates heart attacks I mean when you think about the silliness oh cancel the my heart attacked me I beg your pardon that's the ultimate in denial excuse me if you want to tell yourself the truth and there are heart challenges going on like that, what you need to be languaging is, I've been attacking my heart for so long, it's starting to fight back. <laughs> it's starting to go crazy. I put so much electrical energy, thought, mind energy into that tissue that the electrical functioning of my heart is dysfunctioning. And, you know, I mean, yes, we've got medicine. that's figured out some ways to go in and stimulate or even, you know, cut nerves so that impulses aren't there that create disturbances in heart function when all that needs to happen is somebody needs to work with the thought disorders that are stored in that tissue. So I'd use that mind shifter. I'd take time and allow and, and really pay attention to the subtlest, subtlest thoughts that surface from that mind shifter around being 10. Before I did that, I'd, I'd go to the mirror and do a love exchange with myself and the commitment. And then I'd do some worksheets around that whole issue. And it would be awesome if you would share the results of that when, uh, when you get through and on the other side of it, if we can be of any support. No, we'll be holding the space. And, of course, our call-in number, or if you want to talk about it personally, uh, is 563-999-3581. And, you know, when somebody calls in, I do ask their name. But if you want to remain anonymous, you're at, I don't, I'm happy if you give me, you know, Charlie Brown. I don't care. Uh, the most important thing is the conversation, the questions, and then the support we can give you. So that would be my take. I'd use every tool in the toolbox and recognize that there's a complex of thought disorders that you need to be undoing and make the choice to recognize that you're safe 
to touch into that stuff that, you know, when it happened at 12, you weren't safe and or if it's happened since. Coming to a space of safety is an important part in the process as well. The woman that I was sharing uh, with about the cat and her dad being an alcoholic was a drinker. She and her husband, she shared with me, uh, he was a businessman and would work late. He'd come home for dinner late and she'd have dinner ready and they'd have two or three drinks before dinner and then they'd have a bottle of wine with dinner and then they'd have two or three drinks after dinner and that was a a seven day a week affair. They weren't alcoholics, but that was their routine. And so she decided to let go of alcohol, which she did and had done, if I remember correctly now, again, it's hazy, it's been a long time, but I think it was probably five or six years that she had quit drinking, had not touched alcohol at all. And she shared with me in a private session that she'd gone to a party one night, the week before, and somebody offered her a drink, and you know, she just said, no, sure, yeah. And so somebody gave her a drink of hard liquor. And since she had cleared out a lot of what she was anesthetizing with alcohol, and she'd done that for years, the anesthetic pain was not what she experienced. What she experienced was the toxic effect of the alcohol. And what she said was that the the alcohol no more than got past her lips, like it hadn't been swallowed and hadn't gotten to her stomach yet, but just taking the alcohol in her mouth, she said, it felt like razor blades in my kidneys. So since she'd cleared out the stuff she'd previously used alcohol addictively for, there was no re- nothing to be relieved, so she didn't experience it as relief. She got to directly experience the toxic effect of what the alcohol was doing to her body. And if you're drinking, I'm, I'm just going to invite you to, to consider the tragic um, physiological, mental, emotional effects of alcohol are just outrageous. You know, the fact that it's even available in the culture to me is bizarre. The fact that it's considered to be normal. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, of course, we have this special cabinet in our home where we have this fluid that we reserve only for our best friends and for parties when we want to have a really good time. And when special family comes over, we open this cabinet for them. And we share the fluid that's in it with them. Yes, that, that same fluid, that fluid, the one that's behind 50% of, uh, of deaths that happen on the highways every year in America, the one that's behind, yeah, that, that fluid, the one that's behind 3.3 million people in the world dying every year, the one that's behind, I forget the number, 40 to 50% of the rapes and crimes in the culture, yeah, that fluid, that's the one we save for our special family and friends, and we want to have a really good time. You might think about it if you think that's normal, and you might really question what you're doing if 
that's part of it. And, and I'm speaking from experience. I was brought up in a home where there was alcohol, and, you know, it's a normal part of life, and I drank. And I, I regret that I ever, I ever even knew what the stuff was now. Now that I understand, I, I didn't understand. It was just a normal thing. It's a normal part of a culture and social interaction and all of that. It's one of the deadliest things on the planet. One of the most family destructive things that there is. One of the worst marriage wreckers. One of the worst child abuse stimulus there is. And my offering is there's no healthy use of alcohol. Now I know there's been research done. There's resorbital in the in red wines, and it's a component of vitamin C, and it can create some health benefits. But I guarantee you, if you want to use that, don't go out and buy it in a supplement. Don't drink enough red wine that you get enough of that to get the antioxidant effects of it, because the cost is bizarre and outrageous. So I'll breathe with you, and we'll hold the space for whatever needs to resolve to resolve for you. One other story that I'll tell, there was a gentleman that came, you know, this comes on the tail of alcohol, a gentleman that came to Heartland way back, back in the first, actually I think he was there the second, maybe for about five years he was in and around Heartland. And he had started drinking when he was 15. When he showed up at Heartland, he was in his early 40s, late 30s or early 40s. And he had not had a straight or sober day since he was 15. And when he came to Heartland, he gave alcohol up. He had a deep hate relationship with his father. He could not say a decent word about what an SOB he was and what was wrong with his father, and I'm talking about over a period of years. And I remember one particular still point breathing session that he did at Heartland, and he was laying on the floor on a mat doing the still point process. And his experience was that he actually energetically felt his energy field and for him it felt like roots going into the earth like he became grounded in the actual earth beneath the floor of the heart center and the first decent memory he had of his father happened after that grounding that he experienced and he remembered he was laying on his back breathing on a mat and he remembered being a child and his dad laying on the floor with him as a little kid and bouncing him up in the air and, you know, playing with him. It was the first decent memory and that opened a whole flood of memories and he, he actually, when we finished that summer, he lived in Ohio, his parents lived in Ohio, he got in his car and drove right to his parents' home to apologize and clean it up and resolve with his dad because it was all his own hallucination. His father actually had cancer by that time, and his father and his mother, it wasn't enough that they called me to thank me for the work that he did, but they actually drove to Heartland from Ohio to meet with me personally and say thank you for the change in their son. 
So, Miss Jeannie, you started to say something, sweetheart. Yes, we have Julia on the phone, so we can continue with the worksheet. Awesome, young lady. Welcome. Hi there, Julia. How have you been doing since we opened that can of worms for you? Um, I'm doing I'm doing well. I, I felt better actually after listening to the show yesterday. Um, but um, something that came up a theme that I kind of noticed was the a theme of guilt um, in my resonance, right? Because right. Um, so, like when I I, I was talking about the. Uh, becoming a Baptist Christian, and uh, and there was guilt there, and then um, the the guilt of this uh, Buddhism, it came through again. So, but um, I was you know thinking about I, I really um, am not I wasn't able to find in myself where I, because I kind of reject guilt, and right. um, but there was something with, like, my mother that um, when I, when she conceived me, it was with a man who was married, and he had a two-month pregnant wife. And so hmm. um, I think maybe that, my mother might may have had some guilt issues. Good likelihood. On. Yeah. And, so, do you, do you uh, then, did you did you or do you know that man? I, I have met him a couple times, and like I didn't know uh, that that was even that I had a different father because my mother married somebody when she was like a couple months pregnant with me and so I right. always knew uh-huh. him as I was as my dad until and like right. and, and I was nine years old and we were at a family gathering and her sister-in-law and uh, my mother and her sister-in-law were having some kind of issue with each other and she yelled out well at least my children know who their father is and so mm-hmm. I was in the room and I heard that and I'm like what does that mean, Mom? <laughs> and then found out, hmm. well, your dad is not your biological father. And so uh, then I got to meet him. And um, I think my mother was a, um active alcoholic at that in that phase of my life, at that when I was that old, at nine. And she right. she quit when I was fourteen, but. And so she took me to meet him, but he was, it was kind of like at a party, you know, and, and so it wasn't a very comfortable, intimate meeting. And right. then I didn't meet him again until I was 18. And um, then not again until I was um, probably in my... Uh, early 30s and hmm. just a couple times and then he kind of disappeared again and I haven't heard from him so I haven't heard from him for about 28 years 20 no wow. my daughter was 20 my daughter was two so like 23 years I haven't heard anything from him hmm. yeah. well something that you can do Julia 
and I don't know if you've you know, been on a radio show where we've talked about this, but you can do a worksheet as though you were your mom around that issue, like do one vicariously for her. And it might be, you know, I don't know if you, what you know about the relationship, uh, you know, whether she thought there was something more to it, you know, whatever. But you can do worksheets as though you were her for her and just allow yourself to be guided, you know, ask her permission internally or if it's appropriate, even verbally, but, and, and go ahead and let yourself tap into her energy. A way to do that is just to kind of take a few breaths and ask permission to enter her field and tap into that because you want to do some healing work around it and, you know, allow the goals intuitively to come to you and do some worksheets as though you were her. And then at the same time, you can do worksheets as the infant who was the subject of that. You know, what kind of, I don't know, I don't know if you know, but what kind of turmoil goes on uh, when a woman gets pregnant, loses relationship with the man that she is intimate with, and then ends up, you know, what kind of turmoil, what kind of trauma goes on? But I can only imagine it might be pretty intense. And so that might be an important key in, in you being processing through this and, and opening the space for both him and her to process whatever they need to process, whatever they're carrying from it. Whether they're in their bodies or not doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, that's I think good. this, I suspect, and I've never had this thought before, but I suspect, you know, tying it into our conversation about Buddhism and all the deities, I suspect that that something like that might be the root truth behind this whole idea of you've got a deity for this and a deity for that and a deity for that, i.e. the fact that you went through that experience and you've gone in and cleaned it up qualifies you to support someone who's been through that kind of experience in their healing process. And in a sense, that would be, I suspect, from what I know, and I don't know a lot about the Buddhist tradition, but I suspect that that might be the principle behind, you know, who would become the deity that supports healing this. I know that Catholicism has a similar thing, you know. There's St. Christopher. If you're going to travel, you have a St. Christopher medal in your car, and you pray to St. Christopher, you know, he's like he's like the dude that has traveling handled, and, and somebody else has marriage handled, and somebody else has suffering handled, and somebody else, because they've done the work in that arena. And I suspect that would be the principle behind maybe some of the Buddhist deities and how that whole idea developed. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So who knows? You may yeah. become a deity in your own right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A person who has an energy field that having cleaned up something that can create. I mean, you know, it, it may not have been a really big deal for your mom. I don't know, and I don't know whether you know, but it might have been a major upheaval in her life. And so processing yeah. through that would certainly qualify you to be a support person for anyone who's had that kind of an issue in their lives. Yeah. 
Yeah, she was like 17 years old when that happened. Like I was born five days before her 18th birthday. And, mm. uh, yeah, I can imagine that was really intense for her. That was a pretty tough world back then. I mean, today it's not nearly as big a deal as it was back then um, to deal with a teen pregnancy and all the dynamics going on. So um, I hold the space for you to be able to embrace all of that and to clean that up for your for your relations. Yeah. You know, the Native Americans, when they go into a, a sweat lodge or a healing ceremony, they have a phrase, and the phrase is metakwiasin. And they understood they weren't just doing it for themselves. Whenever they went into that sweat lodge and said the words metakwiasin, they were saying, I'm doing this for all my relations. For anybody in the bloodline that has this issue, I'm, I'm doing this for their support as well as my own. And of course, in Miracles talks about when you are healed, you are never healed alone. You open an energy window for everybody on the planet who has the same issue. Everybody in the bloodline with the same issue to process through those things. So, awesome opportunity, and I, uh, I get your willingness and your eagerness to do your healing work. So that's pretty sweet, pretty cool. Yeah. And Buddhists have the same, too. Like, they always start all their prayers with, um, and and their dedication, they dedicate afterwards all the merit, and it's for the sake of all sentient beings. Right. So they start it for it, may I become enlightened for the sake of all sentient beings, and then they dedicate the merit that they've accumulated by doing the prayers for the sake of all sentient beings. And they're mm. very into the interconnectedness of of all beings. Of all life, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Yeah. So. So breathing with think, you, where are we at at this point? Um. Well, we are on. I don't know. Uh, the on the my worksheet on the left, the the numbers got cut off, but um, we're at A. Uh, let's see, one, two, so I it's think, probably three A, three A, four A. Um, my, I, we did my desire, the constructive result, the exact goal that drives my. So you got your goal. Okay. Yeah, uh, then, and then when upset, my perception is built out of corrupt data. Right. And then you want to step into this. So if you've set the goal, you've identified the goal, then you want to make sure that love is present before you enter into the forgiveness process. So to tap into that strongest, clearest, most powerful love energy that you can becomes the next step. Yes. And to so cancel the goal. Okay. And so the goal that you settled on? Um, number three? I want, yeah, I want Gemma to support my new choices. 
I want the strength to decide um, myself, and I want Gemma okay. to the strength release. To, to make new choices? Yes, myself. And it's okay yeah. to change my mind. Yes. So, so there are two different worksheets. So we're going, let's stick with one with Gimla. And so 5A, I'm going to bring that goal down from number three and then go through number 5A. Um, my goal. My goal was so I want... Gimla to support, to support your new choices. Right. Yeah. And, you know, there might be a deeper level to that, too. That, to me, that one would likely be kind of a surface thing, but a deeper one might be, I want Gimla to approve of me or to accept me or to embrace me. There might be, you know, a thousand variations on a theme. I'd look at the deeper levels as well. They'd be additional worksheets to do. I want him to yeah. embrace me as a Buddha, Buddhist with integrity, even though I've changed my mind on this. So there might be some other goals that would tie into cleaning up this whole issue totally. Yeah. And who knows whether or not this maybe relates back to what was going on for mom, you know, maybe mom was in a relationship with this man and, or, you know, this boy, because she was just a young girl uh, with this young man or young boy and became pregnant and maybe she changed choices and decided to move on from that. And there may be some connectedness there as well. I could easily imagine that might fit in. Yeah. Yeah, and I then, can see that also. You know, yeah, and what do you suppose? I it's just just to imagine what was going on for your mom, and this might be another worksheet you might do for her. Uh, what do you suppose was going on? She's at this gathering, and sister-in-law is there, and sister-in-law blurts that out in front of everybody. It's like whew, talk about viciousness on the part of the sister-in-law. And the same, you know, what I would imagine your mom would be wanting from the sister-in-law would be integrity and confidentiality and respect, support. And uh, it sounds like she got quite the opposite of that from her sister-in-law. Pretty brutally vicious. Yep. So all of those things would be worksheets you could do that would help to clear the energy in and for yourself, seeing as how you were there at, would you say it was, nine years of age? Yeah. I'd imagine there'd be some confusion and quite a whole lot of questions. And boy, talk about a ton of tough conversation to have with your nine-year-old daughter. Wow. Bless your mother's heart. Yeah. Breathing with you. Thank you. 
So if you want to go through, you want to read that step 5A? And, and basically the idea of 5A, it's really a review of the whole first half of the Why Is This Happening to Me Again workshop. It kind of hits all the high points that, you know, perception of made is, is made of a max of nine bits of data and that it's a goal that drives it. When I cancel the goal, it collapses. When it collapses, it gives me access to the underlying unconscious information that I want to come into, conscious relationship with. I want to be able to pull this forward and bring it into awareness. So it's kind of a review of the whole first half of the workshop. And it can be a good thing before actually doing the counseling step to actually read that whole step each time you do a worksheet. Yeah. So if you um, want to go ahead and do that. Okay. When upset, my perception is built out of corrupt data. Driven by my goal, number three, it is a limiting picture constructed from a max of nine bits of data out of 10,000 brain cells firing. By canceling my goal, uh, my replicate mind's reality collapses and gives me direct contact with the denied and disassociated parts of dissociated. my carbon-based memory. Dissociated no. parts right. of my carbon-based mind, which projects and blames others for its content. While holding love conscious, active, and present, I now choose to collapse, collapse my mind's lies by willingly canceling my goal driver for 1C to from one number three, uh, Genla, to support my new choices. And breathe. And And what's happening? Um, not not any thoughts. Just I feel like a release from the breath. Good, good. Okay, and then the the next step is where I ask Ruka to could you ask the so to speak super processor to come in because who knows if if there are genetic components to something like this, how deep the energy goes, and do I have the mental capacity to, one, figure that out or to process it? Highly likely that I don't, but there's a power in me if I invite her. It's a, in Aramaic, it's this feminine elemental force, so I'm going to invite that force into activity in me to, and so if you want to go ahead with uh, 5B, Okay, I invite Ruka, the Kucha, to incline me toward healing, restore me to my newborn essence, love, heal my denial and capacity to generate my emotion of 1B, of guilt. So I'm willing like, to and literally have anything in me that could create guilt to be lifted and released right now, and I'm asking Ruka to do that. 
Yes. Help me open a direct conscious relationship with and gently remove the denied, disassociated, and projected parts of my carbon-based memory. And breathe. And just, just let yourself breathe into that and uh, and then make a note. You know, the next step is uh, I feel. So in six, how do you feel? Emotionally, physically, mentally. And if you look at the situation as you wrote about it, number one, detail how it looks now. Does it look any different? Has your perceptual construct about that circumstance changed? Uh, yes, it's changed, and I feel better about it. And I think um, Gemma would understand um, if he were. I suspect. If I would, yeah, if I were able to communicate with him. But I don't think he's, he's you are. no longer in his body. But, That's okay. You can still communicate with him. Yeah. No need or reason for that to be restricted. Yeah. And you approving of yourself for having changed your mind can be totally and completely independent of what he might think or do. Should he, you know, somehow choose to communicate with you that he still holds disapproval, it's like, okay, I got it, and that's yours. I'm, it's not my monkey. I'm not going to carry that one. Thank you very much. Yeah. And um, I see that. I don't know what to write. I don't where it's one, um, number one. I see that. Yeah, basically what uh, that step is about is you want to document how your perception shifted. You know, number one, Gimla was the octave of attention, blah, 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 whatever. I'm, I have guilt, blah, blah. So now in number six there, I'm documenting how I feel about it now and, and what's going on for me. So I look back and... I can see that, you know, maybe I was the one that was limiting or projecting that he'd hold me accountable or think I was guilty or bad or, you know, whatever the circumstance looks like to you now. And, you know, there might be more than one worksheet to do around this issue to get through all of the thought disorders linked to something that important. And that potentially uh, deeply embedded generational pattern. I see that guilt is a useless <laughs> emotion. Yeah, absolutely, 2,000%. It's interesting, much of churchianity, you know, whatever type it is, has thought they were doing something wonderful if they instilled guilt in a child or a young person because then the guilt would keep them away from doing that thing. When the exact reverse is true, it's the guilt that becomes the energy that puts the shine on the thing that attracts them to it. If nothing was ever said about it, they wouldn't even pay attention. You know, one example of that that I like is in the scriptures you go back and, you know, you look at 
oh, the tragedy there is around sexuality in our culture. You know, like you look at how just crazy churchianity is and people are about their own sexuality and other se- others' sexuality and other sexual choices, blah, 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 blah. You go back and you see these stories in the Old Testament, especially about these, you know, sexually inappropriate, blah, blah, blah. And then <laughs> you hear at least God's voice ostensibly coming through those scriptures and 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 God asked the question, who even told you you were naked? <laughs> like, who who gave you all that crap? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's really quite hilarious when you look at all the drama and trauma that's been, on it, been put on it. And God's voice ostensibly comes through the scripture and says, who told you you were even naked? Like, that, that meant anything. <laughs> yeah. Along the lines of all the drama and trauma and guilt that people do around it. Yeah. So I don't I it's really I don't understand like where all this nonsense comes from and and why it's perpetuated. It's called fear. F E A R false evidence appearing real. And people buy into thought disorders. And out of their thought disorders, remember that the mind has this amazing capacity. It converts thoughts to pictures. So when one holds a thought disorder and their mind generates a picture out of that thought disorder and they think that they're looking at the picture through their eyes and the picture's out there and that it's real. That's the root of most of the trauma on the planet. When the truth is you can't see anything with your eyes. Your brain generates literally the picture world that you see. We're not looking through two peepholes at what's going on out there. We're looking at a picture in our brain, and we are pretending that it's out there. But the truth is it's not. And so dissolving the thought disorders allows the trauma-based pictures to simply dissipate and disappear. It's called healing. It's called forgiveness. By the way, where, where the word in there, and when I talk about denial, that denial causes dissociation, There's a, which is a psycho-spiritual term to me, and there's also a psychological term that's disassociation. So we distinguish between those two things. Disassociation is what happens when someone, there's such a trauma-based reality in their minds that they literally disconnect from their own minds and bodies. You know, we've heard stories of someone who says, oh, I, I can remember when that occurred and, there, and I found myself, I was up in the corner of the room looking down at my body and the, what was going on in the room or someone who goes through a near-life experience where they go through clinical death and, and then they're resuscitated and they'll say, yeah, I was in the corner and I watched the surgeon working on my heart. That's disassociation. What we're talking about with, with the denial dissociation is that whatever it is that is the real cause behind what my mind is generating 
is hidden from me internally. It's the creation of an unnatural condition called an unconscious mind through denial. My take is it is not natural for a human being to have an unconscious mind. We're not designed to have an unconscious mind. We're designed to be able to access all information in us at any time by simply turning attention to it and cranking up the resonance of the content of whatever brain cells. But where we've been locked out of that by holding the breath and denial, you know, our, our definition of now being whenever I think or speak as though something outside of me is the cause of what's moving inside of me then in order to believe that lie that something outside of me could possibly cause something to happen inside of me, I have to hide the real cause of what's happening inside of me. I dissociate from it. And until forgiveness comes along, I have no way to recapture that part of my own mind, that unconscious part. And or at least I have no consistent, persistent way. I think people sort of, kind of, once in a while, accidentally fall into opening something like that and get to work through something without really understanding the principle behind it. But the only way that I know that people can consistently, persistently clean up those unconscious dynamics is through Yeshua's first century Aramaic work, which is what this worksheet is about. And if you do that, then you'll consistently open up dissociated parts of your mind and heal them consistently, consistently, and consistently until those parts disappear. Those generational patterns especially are disappeared. And then one leaves what in the ancient teachings metaphor was called the desert. It wasn't about being in a hot, sandy place. It was about being unconscious. And they get to move into the promised land, which isn't about some fancy garden somewhere in, you know, in Eden. It's, it's simply to move into the space of conscious co-creation. We are designed to be creators. We are co-creators with the creator. And as such, we're designed to do that consciously. When we create an unconscious mind, then we do it unconsciously, and that's when we go wondering, you know, why did this come back and bite me in the butt? I didn't know anything about this. Well, yeah, and I've been through it 87 different times with 42 different people. Well, you're just telling yourself that there's something in your unconscious that you need to uncover and clean up, and this is how to do it. Yeah, thank you for helping back and forward. figuring this out. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I it took me, it. yeah, it took me 35 years to understand that piece of information I just gave you. Working full time with these tools. It to me, at least for me, was that obscure. And it takes time to build the brain cells to, to comprehend what it is we're really talking about. Yeah. So it's coming into conscious relationship with the dissociated parts of the mind. And when I come into conscious relationship in the presence of love and breath, then those things that are trauma-based simply are evaporated or dissolved or transmuted by the breath, by Ruka Dikudja. And I, I wish I had figured it out. Yeshua figured it out 2,000 years ago 
or knew it or however he came to have that information. I just had the blessing and the fortitude to stick to it for 35 years to finally get to where I could comprehend what it was about. And I, I look back at my life, you know, right back to my early days in school and studying physics and uh, electronics and how all of that fit so that I had the brain cells when Yeshua came along to go, oh, oh, that's it. Take care of the unconscious. Oh, energy, amplitude. It all ties together. So I feel myself blessed that I uh, fell into that and that uh, Yeshua had put it into that Aramaic language and there was still, you know, documentation around of what he was really talking about. Yeah, and we are all so lucky that you did, and I'm deeply appreciated, deeply grateful. Because I've just Honored been exposed to it for a few months, and it's just changed my life. It's mind-boggling, isn't it? How, I mean, really, how simple it is. When you get down to it, it's just like ABC. That's all. It's simple. As the the real challenge is changing the mind <laughs> it's it's moving through the patterns that are so heavily reinforced in the culture to get free of them so that we can open our eyes and go oh there it is right there in plain sight and get past the mind covering it up covering it up blocking it blocking it locking it down blocking us out of it it's really so yeah. very simple yeah and I think Buddhism helped me build the, the brain cells to understand the Course in Miracles. And then the Course Absolutely. in Miracles, I believe, helped me, gave me some brain cells to understand what you're teaching. So nothing was wasted. The beauty time. of it is, there's, yeah, there's only one thing that's true. There's only one thing to talk about. I mean, for me, my background in physics, really, that was, one of, that was one of the biggest openers for me in understanding Yeshua was the brain cells I had from the physics world. I, I, I don't think I'd have ever comprehended Yeshua the way that I did if I hadn't done, I mean, literally in grade 10, grade 11, and grade 12, if I hadn't studied electronics and physics, uh, and, I, and, he, and that stuff came along, I wouldn't have understood what it meant. If I hadn't done naturopathic medicine, I wouldn't have known that the veil of the temple was the barrier between the subconscious and the unconscious. And that when the scripture said God sent out a spirit, it wasn't God sent out a spirit, it was the breath, oh, the super processor. I mean, there's only one thing to talk about. I don't care whether you're in the world of psychology or genetics or, you know, history. There's only one thing to talk about. And I think it was, uh, let's see, who was it? Winston Churchill that really pegged it uh, well way back when. And he said, we have the privilege of being separated by a common language. We're all talking about the same thing. It's when you get that down to having the brain cells for the principles behind it that you can go, oh, that's what that means. Oh, there it is. Oh, I see what that, oh, that's how it fits. And all of a sudden... It all comes together. It's a cute story I'm going to finish with, and it's about the, the woman who had a daughter who was about four who was very active and into everything. And one day she saw uh, a map of the world, 
And she decided to cut out the map of the world and make a puzzle out of it for her daughter. Because her daughter, you know, she knew she'd get busy with it and, and have fun and stick with it. So she cuts the world up into, you know, this puzzle. She, well, that's going to keep her busy for weeks. And about an hour later, her daughter, the little girl, comes back with, with the puzzle of the world all put together. And her mother's like, Mom, how did you do that? Or the, the mother says, how did you do that, sweetheart? She says, well, Mom, I noticed when you were cutting out the map of the world, there was a picture of a little girl on the other side. And when I put the little girl together, the whole world came together. <laughs> yeah, that's so awesome. That's what it takes. That's so sweet. All right, dear heart, yeah. we appreciate you. You have a blessed day. Thanks, you too. Take care. All right. Everybody, thanks for joining us. Create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Take care.